Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for being here. Hey, uh, start hitting that like button. Start hitting the subscribe. Start hitting the notifications if you're watching over YouTube. If you're listening over Apple, you know what to do. Hit that five-star rating. Uh, write a little review. Help us fight the algorithm. We appreciate it. We have an awesome show planned for you today. Uh, Matt Gates. Matt Gates. You guys know him. The House uh, representative from Florida is going to join us. The man who helped us get a new Speaker of the House, he's going to join us here in just a few minutes. We're going to let him take a victory lap and talk about Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House. We'll do that with Matt Gates here in a couple of minutes. Just give me a couple of minutes and we'll get to Matt Gates. Uh, Steve Baker is going to rejoin us to talk about January 6th and the latest developments there. Anthony Walker, Virgil Walker, and T.J. Moe will be here for some Tennessee Harmony. We'll talk about Halloween and how Christians should feel about Halloween. And then I'm going to uh, end the show with a daily dose of Dion. <laughs> and I got a good daily dose of Dion. So uh, stay tuned for all that. Before I get to Matt Gates, I want to talk to you guys about uh, Samaritan Ministries. Tired of someone else telling you where to go when you have a medical need? Are you ready to take control of your health care? Samaritan Ministries could be the solution you're looking for. They connect hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who come together through prayer, encouragement, and financial support when a medical need arises. It's not insurance, and you're not limited by restrictive networks. Say you have a medical need. You don't have to check and see what hospital is in your network or be concerned about the doctor being in network too. No, you go to the hospital, you choose and don't give a second thought as to what's in network and what's not because with Samaritan Ministries, you're in control of your health care. Afterwards, fellow members pray for you and send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills. And when they have a medical need, you'll do the same for them. That's what biblical hair, biblical health care sharing looks like. Check it out today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless. One. All right, let's uh, roll out to Florida and bring in a member of the House, Matt Gates, the man of the month, the man of the last six weeks or so, the man that got us a new Speaker of the House in Mike Johnson. Matt, uh, thank you so much uh, for rejoining the program. I, I, I really just wanted to give you a pat on the back and a big shout out. Man, this is awesome what you've done. And, and just how, how, and again, you don't want to rest on your laurels or get overconfident, but how pleased are you with how the speakership turned out? I'm very pleased. Mike Johnson is a man of faith. He is a constitutional scholar. 
He has been right there with us at the side of, of Jim Jordan as we've been pursuing these investigations into the Biden crime family. Uh, he is a mild-mannered person by nature. You're not going to see him be uh, impolite to people or yell and scream at them, but he's very strident. He knows what he believes. It's driven by the word of God and the Constitution that has governed the greatest country that's existed in all of human history. Uh, now it's also about the plan, though, Jason. And we got the man, but we got to have the plan. And we had other folks, friends of mine, even people I supported in the speaker contest who thought that the plan was to lump all of these agencies of government together with a continuing resolution. They believed that would give us an opportunity to maybe slow the growth of spending. My belief is that we have to review each of these agencies of government independently, that that's what's going to allow us to ripen questions about what's working, what's not working. And we're doing that, as a matter of fact, this week on the Department of the Interior. And where we see programs that uh, aren't helping folks, we're going to call for votes on them. And we're not going to win them all. That's how it goes. And at the end of the day, I think that the process that Speaker Johnson has embraced is one that, uh, that all Americans can get behind and, and can really use for more transparency. I saw a tweet from you where you you were calling out Chuck Schumer for, hey, this Israeli package. It doesn't have money for Ukraine. It doesn't have money for Hamas. It, it, you guys are in position now to really push back against this out-of-control spending that's hidden in all these other packages. How important is that, and, and how important will Mike Johnson be in making sure that we can rein in some of the spending and some of the, particularly the foreign spending? Yeah, and let's uh, let's not uh, pull any punches here, Jason. It's not just Chuck Schumer. It's Mitch McConnell as well. There's no light between Chuck Schumer's position on lashing Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan, whatever else you could think of together, and what Mitch McConnell's view is on that very subject. So they want to use what I think is a natural inclination of Americans to stand with Israel and to support a land that's got a 4,000-year connection to our faith they want to they want to use that to get support for Ukraine, which otherwise wouldn't exist. And then we just saw recently Lindsey Graham say that it's entirely uh, partisan for us to demand pay fors for foreign aid to Israel. Now, I don't think that's partisan. I just think that's logical that if you're going to send 14 billion dollars somewhere, where Americans shouldn't have to suffer a, a diminished value of our money to accomplish that goal. We should make cuts somewhere else. And after the Inflation Reduction Act from Joe Biden, the IRS grew from a budget of about 12 billion a year to 80 billion a year. And so Mike Johnson's proposal is to take the 14 billion for Israel right out of the hide of the IRS. And Lindsey Graham calls that partisan. I think it's just smart budgeting. So when you're willing to do what you did to Kevin McCarthy, you're willing, I, I lob you a softball, take, a, take Chuck Schumer's head off, and you go, no, no, let me tell you about Mitch McConnell. You're, you're putting, I love it, but you're putting a bullseye on yourself. How, you know, concerned, how much prayer do we need to be sending your way? Because these types of victories come at a price. And, and, and I'm sure you're aware of that, that, you know, people want no, retribution right. for what you pulled off. <laughs> sure. And you know what? So, I, I, I get it. You're right. You could get in these fights. And even with when you win them, you could come out 
out with a scratch or a scar or an eye poked out and you got to keep going. I've been in Congress for seven years. I was a state lawmaker six years before that. I never really held my tongue in either of those positions. And one thing I've learned, Jason, you come out of some of these fights, sure, you can be scratched or cut up a little bit. But from that, you grow calluses and grit and strength. And time and again, as long as you're fighting for the right things, for the people to be able to have clear access to the decision-making in government, I think the people ultimately reward that. But I, I've made a career not just reading the talking points from my political party, because frankly, it's not red team versus blue team here anymore. Oftentimes it's the establishment of both parties against the rest of us. Like take for example, this FISA issue, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which has really resulted in the spying of, on Americans who were everyone from those who were in Washington on January 6th to people who were involved in the BLM riots in the summer of 2020. And, I think we could actually make common cause between populists on the right and even progressive Democrats to stand against the surveillance state and the violation of our Fourth Amendment rights. So I don't just ascribe to this view that every Republican's right about everything, every Democrat's wrong. I try to take it issue by issue. And you're right, that can put a target on my back, but I'll, I guess I'll just have to wear it like a badge of honor. I don't know another way to do it. So in the process, after the vacating uh, McCarthy, when when Jim Jordan gets defeated, and and then at some point it looks like, well, Tom Emmert, he's going to be the guy. What, was there ever a moment during that process of getting to Mike Johnson where you thought like, oh man, this isn't going to work out the way we hoped? Were, were you ever fearful and thought like, man, we're going to lose this? I always knew there was a great reservoir of people who would upgrade the position of Speaker of the House. And I thought it was highly likely that we could get to one of those people. Uh, I view Jim Jordan as one of those people. I view Steve Scalise as one of those people. I, even people who didn't run, like Jody Arrington, our budget chairman, could have led the House and has the leadership skills to do so. I've sat next to Mike Johnson for seven years on the Judiciary Committee, and I know that he's someone who really takes great pride in bringing people together and inspiring what's best in folks to be able to get the most out of them on a team and so I really did count him among those who would likely do a great job. But I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that anything in this town to acquire more power or influence comes with an element of risk. Of course, there was some risk that you would have had Republicans break away and join Democrats, some risk that you might have ended up with a more moderate speaker than a more conservative speaker. But I was willing to put my political career on the line. I was willing to work the long hours, meet with members, deal with their concerns about me in order to get to a position where we fulfilled two commitments, a speaker of the House who was more conservative and a speaker of the House who was more honest. There will be times I disagree with Mike Johnson as speaker, but you know what? He's going to look me in the eye. He's going to tell me what he believes, why he believes it, and then we'll work through that. I think that is a more productive leadership style in the end than just making a bunch of contradictory promises to everyone. So it may look chaotic, but Jason, I've, I believe in constructive chaos, that out of chaos, you can bring greater order and you can have a greater sense of unity and a sense of purpose. Everybody around here always wants to talk about unity, but unity is not an end unto itself. It has to be unity that brings you to a purpose. And I think that now we have to have a purpose of reducing spending. And I think Mike Johnson has got the skills to bring us there. I've loved Mike Johnson getting this position and immediately talking about God. And that inspired me. 
I read something today, again, from, from your Twitter feed that, like, I, I didn't know this. And this makes me like Mike Johnson even more. You, you retweeted, I think, someone from the Daily Beast that said, Mike yes. Johnson doesn't have any retirement savings, own a single stock, or have any assets at all. He has less than $5,000 in his bank account. He's got a 250 to 500K mortgage, a home equity loan, a personal loan. This is some kind of critique that, or, or <laughs> criticism they're leveling at him. And, and I'm like, oh, man, he, he sounds like working class in the rest of America. I like this. He, I, I like that he's not financially set. Uh, first of all, is this true? Is, is he really? Uh, well, he's got five you kids. Know. He's got five kids. He's put a bunch of them through college. And LSU, it's a state school, but it still takes money when your kids go to college. So, yeah, I think it probably is true. Mike Johnson is not somebody who is is flashy with any sort of personal wealth. I think that he's a responsible family man. But here's what I love about that, Jason. The Daily Beast critique is that because Mike Johnson is not rich, he is corruptible. That's what they said. And like, isn't that a lot better than someone who's already corrupt? Like so many of the people I work with are corrupt. They corruptly trade stocks. They corruptly get their family members no-show jobs. They corruptly build wealth based on information they get. Mike Johnson hasn't. And so the critique is he must be corruptible. Maybe he's an evangelical Christian who actually values things more than money. And if that's true, I think that's something that is warm and inviting about Mike Johnson. Certainly not something to criticize, but it, it just kind of shows you like if he was rich, they would have criticized him for that. And because he's not rich, it becomes this whole new vector of critique. It's one of those deals when I look at his biographical information and just who he is. It's one of those deals where I have to take a step back and say, you know what? There's been more progress that that than what I've been given giving credit for that. You know, a lot of times we get we're losing everything and it's all terrible. It's all terrible. But we just empowered a man who looks like MAGA and looks like working class America. That's a huge step. And, and it makes me go, hey, maybe things are, are going better than I thought. Yes, it's chaotic. Yes, it's ugly, but if we can reach the kind of right results as this, empowering someone who isn't afraid to shout from the rooftops that he believes that Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, and, and again, I hope that he you know, gets in a better financial position over time ethically, but I like the fact that he's very relatable to the people who have no voice in this country, and that is the working class American. And it does comport with a realignment in the policy outcomes, right? We used to think about the Republican Party as the country club party, the, car, the party that was trying to build wealth among the wealthiest. Well, now what we see is a, a policy portfolio that President Trump really animated during his time in office that builds a blue-collar boom within the economy, where wages start rising for people who produce things and make things. And we've got to advance those policies in the House of Representatives now, whether it's more energy production to employ more people, 
whether it's uh, rebuilding and restoring the infrastructure in our country, not pursuant to some weird DEI equity concept, but what will actually help our economy and our workers. And I think Mike Johnson's going to be a great face for that in the speaker's role. No one person is our political uh, savior on all fronts in, in American political life. You know, we only get salvation from one place, and it's not government. But I do think that we can look at these trends, right? Mitt Romney is leaving the United States Senate because he said there were no other Mitt Romneys for him to collaborate with. I view that as a positive step for the Republican Party. Then you bring in someone like Mike Johnson, who uh, is rooted in the right things and wants to empower the membership. You know, the first thing he did was pray. The second thing he did was give a speech about the importance of decentralizing power out of the speaker's office so that more of the talents of people in Congress can be unlocked to solve the very serious uh, challenges that we face. And then when Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and Chuck Schumer tried to roll our speaker and get him to bind Ukraine all wadded up together with Israel, he said, no, we are going to, in a very responsible and thoughtful way, address these things independently. Matter of fact, he delivered a letter to Joe Biden saying, I want these 12 questions answered about Ukraine before we even talk about sending another dollar. So that's more accountability, not driven by what the lobbyists and the defense contractors and the K Street power power brokers want, but what just I think a regular American would expect uh, given the trying times that we find ourselves in globally. Matt, what percentage of your Republican colleagues are comfortable with the Republican brand moving to being the party of the working class? It's I see guys like yourself and I see Donald Trump as much wealth as he had. He's comfortable with it. What percentage of your colleagues on the Republican side are comfortable with that? It's such a good question. And I think that the Congress is a lagging indicator. I think if you look at people on our school boards, people getting elected to mayoral positions, people in our state legislatures, there's a far higher comfort level with the inspirational patriotic nationalism that President Trump advanced unapologetically. And in the Congress, uh, maybe 60-40 have just a little bit of apprehension or reticence about you know the Republican Party moving out of the country club and moving into the hunting club. I got no problem with that. Uh, we've just got to make sure that we uh, get the policies in place to allow it to occur. And oftentimes you have to hold the White House to get these agencies to really execute on on the will to see that vision come to fruition. But uh, right now, I, I think that those folks who are like getting elected to school board, those tiger moms and, and those dads, they're going to be the next line change for Congress. They're going to be the one winning Republican primaries for Congress, I think, in the coming election cycles. And it's something I'm really excited about. Matt, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Uh, thank you so much for sticking to your promises and, and taking those bullets. Man, we appreciate it. Thank you. I never know what we're really going to discuss, Jason, but I always love uh, chatting with you. And I really appreciate you being so gracious as to have me back on your program. Thank you. That's Matt Gates. He's done a great job. Uh, we're going to keep him in our prayers. Seriously, we're going to keep him in our prayers because he's whoo, the establishment is not happy with him on either side uh, of the aisle. Uh, guys, I want to talk to you about 
our inspiration, the fearless soldier, fearless army inspiration, preborn. You guys know, according to a recent survey, hundreds of post-abortive women, 60% in fact, uh, reported that they would have preferred to give birth if they had received more support from others or had more financial security. And that's where preborn steps in and steps up. Preborn is there for women in their darkest hour, deciding between life and death of their precious child. You see, the reality is women are being pressured to make this fatal decision are, and are being told that their babies are just a clump of sails. Preborn welcomes women with God's love and introduces them to the beautiful life growing inside of them, which doubles their baby's chance at life. They do this with ultrasounds. When you support Preborn, you not only support women, you empower them. Your donation of $28 will help a woman to make a choice that she won't have to regret for the rest of her life. You'll give her a blessing, the greatest blessing, life. You can do it by just dialing pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or do it the way I like to do it. Visit preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Uh, did I tell you what's going on tomorrow? We got the cookout, the gold jacket edition of the cookout. Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Marshall Falk, and Brian Erlacher all here in studio with me here in Nashville. Man, it's going to be great. I hope you guys tune in. Uh, can't wait for this conversation. Honored to have uh, these great men, these great football players in studio with us. This show keeps getting bigger and better. What better could we do than have a cookout, share a little food, have a few beverages, and talk some football with uh, four of the greatest football players of all time. Uh, you don't want to miss that tomorrow. All right, stay tuned. I told you guys I'm going to stay on the topic of January 6th. Steve Baker, reporter for The Blaze, he's going to come back and join us again. We've had him on previously. Talk about Harry Dunn. We're going to talk about uh, David Lazarus. We're going to talk about what's the latest in the January 6th investigations and the release of tapes. We're going to do that next. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Jason Whitlock, previously on Fearless. I'm telling you, systemic anti-black racism exists here in America. Over the course of America's first 190 years, while white and black evangelicals deconstructed this system, this country system of anti-black laws, policies, and cultural norms. During the last 60 years, white and black progressive elites rebuilt a system of anti-black cultural norms, laws, and policies. Starting with Lyndon Johnson's Great Society Initiative, the Democratic Party convinced black Americans that our salvation and progress were tied to government assistance rather than obedience to and trust in God. The Great Society bribed black women to abandon the patriarchy, male leadership, and the nuclear family, the central pillars of biblical faith. All right, welcome back. As promised, uh, Steve Baker, uh, a reporter working with The Blaze, uh, who's been at the forefront of a lot of the reportings on January 6th, uh, is rejoining us. You guys have seen Steve on before. Steve, thanks for uh, stopping back by. 
on your way through Nashville. Uh, been a lot of things happened since the last time I had you on the show. One, mm -hmm. I had Targ Johnson here in studio, and yeah. we did interview for more than an hour or so. He, me, him, and uh, Nick Searcy. You've done some additional uh, reporting or published some stories about Harry Dunn. And then uh, Sarah Maccabee's husband, Colton, McCool, uh, Colton Maccabee, has been convicted and is awaiting sentencing. So I want to ask you about those three things. And first I want to start with, I was uh, very shocked at what Targ Johnson shared with me in terms of getting me up to speed on just how corrupt this whole thing seems to be, that the Capitol Police perhaps were set up. Uh, that, that was my biggest takeaway, is that they weren't in on it. They were just pieces on a chessboard that were moved around for the benefit of Nancy Pelosi, Yogananda Pittman, and mm -hmm. the regime. You're, that's what my biggest takeaway was from yeah ultimately jason the united states capitol police is a very very political organization more political than most police forces uh, around the country and it's also one of the largest but it's political because as you can imagine look who they have to protect look who their charges are i mean for instance the United States Capitol Police are not subject to FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests. Well, why do you think that is? That's because Congress doesn't want themselves and their actions and their activities being exposed. It's another reason why the January 6th video has been so difficult to get our hands on and because the, 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 um, the access has even been, look, McCarthy did grant more journalists access. In fact, there were no journalists granted access prior to him um, taking the speakership. But it was very limited. And then it's also still a very arduous, difficult process to get what we need released to us once we identify stories from it. And we're still having that problem today. So there are, there are political reasons for all of that. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, look, Congress themselves, the Congress members know that they are on those videos all over that building all the time, 24 hours a day. They're wandering around early in the morning, late in the afternoon, between offices. They would prefer that they, their actions, their own activities not be seen and tracked either. It's one of the reasons why so few cameras in the entire mass of CCD, uh, capital CCTV cameras are available. The other thing that shocked me, and I don't want to, I don't think Tark was naive, I think I would have done the same thing in his situation, but, and I, I don't know, I can't remember the congressman's name he reached out to, mm -hmm. that he, he's telling the story like he's watching on TV and he's like, man, the narrative on this is wrong. Let me reach out, and I can't remember the guy's name that he worked for specifically right. or protected most, and then he said within hours, that's when his career ended, the Capitol Police were at his door, basically taking his badge away, and led to 17-month suspension. What did you What did you make of that story of his decision to reach out and tell a congressman, like, "Hey, I want to be interviewed by the FBI. This story is not being told accurately." 
Yeah, uh, the uh, the senator who he's referring to slips my mind as well. But that particular story is interesting, and it probably was a little bit naive on his behalf at the time. Although Tark's a pretty smart guy. Yeah. Uh, the the reality was is that Tark had worked on his yeah. uh, protection detail. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. So he 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 naturally thought that there was a relationship. Obviously, there was the opportunity uh, to have maybe a friendly senator reach out on his behalf and 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 maybe protect him from what was coming because of his you know wearing the red maga hat that day in the crowd those kinds of things those kinds of expectations and then of course he had a story to tell as well because things weren't right that day things were not normal that day there were there was an obvious in his own you know it had to be percolating in Tark's mind at the time that that he had seen a setup that day and and so uh, reaching out uh, was, like you said, probably something both of us would do to a friendly source. But because, again, of the politics of the situation and a narrative that was being constructed and a narrative that needed to be maintained, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi famously, a year after January 6, launched the commemorative uh, one-year anniversary ceremonies and then ultimately the January 6th Select Committee by saying these words. This was our exact quote. She said, the purpose of this is to uh, maintain and preserve the narrative of January 6th. Oh, I'm sorry, to establish and preserve is the exact exact quote. And so... Tark stepped into a, you know, a political, um, you know, and grinder. That preservation has included never interviewing Tark, <laughs> which seems amazing yeah. that he could have been that involved in major events on January 6th. He's a Capitol Police officer. Yogananda Pittman loses communication with him or ignores his communication but no one wants to hear from him. That blows my mind, but it also doesn't surprise me because that's how little interest there is in actual truth. Let me, let me tell you something really interesting that w- we really haven't focused on on Lieutenant Tarek Johnson's story, former lieutenant. Um, I have his disciplinary report. Uh, it's called an OPR. It's 140 page investigation, findings, discovery, everything related to the disciplinary action taken against him for putting on that red MAGA hat and then subsequently going in and helping or rescuing those 16 officers that had radioed a distress call in. And then, of course, the other thing that they had to, had to nail him for was he recruited two Oath Keepers in the process of doing that. So they needed to take him down, which was part of the process of establishing and preserving the narrative of January 6th. So they had to. But the interesting thing, Jason, about his disciplinary action is they only started the investigation at three o'clock on January 6th. Everything that that, that that investigation and the disciplinary report and ultimately the findings that he was suspended for conduct unbecoming a Capitol Police officer for putting that hat on, it all starts at 3 o'clock. It completely leaves out the her- heroism of Tarek Johnson earlier in the day when he was setting up decontamination 
uh, uh, places for the, the Capitol Police and Metro Police. When he actually initiated the evacuation first of the Senate and then did the same thing again over on the House of Representatives side and initiated the evacuation over there, both without ever hearing from Assistant Chief Pittman over the radio, never never getting permission from her, never getting any response from her. When he was saying, you know, I, I have copies of the radio um, uh, uh, transmissions as well. And he's calling it in. He's saying, I have a clear sight. I have a clear shot to get the senators out. I need permission. And then he finally says, he finally actually says, I, I, I'll, I'll probably get the, 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 the code numbers wrong. You hear him on the radio transmission say, I'll take the 550 and the 534, which is the disciplinary code for taking the initiative without permission from command. And he took that initiative, and as a result of that, he got those people out of there and got them to safety. But that's what embarrassed them. And that's ultimately why he was disciplined in the manner that he was and suspended for 17 months. And ultimately, when you look at the report, how, how can you judge any officer's actions for the day and leave out the first part of the day and the heroic actions and only focus on the MAGA hat? Well, uh, one officer they have focused on, his heroic acts, was Harry Dunn. And <laughs> you guys have blown up uh, the lie of all these N-words allegedly being shouted at him and other officers. But I think you have more stories coming out on Harry Dunn? We, we basically could construct a, uh, <laughs> we could construct a TV show uh, miniseries on, on Harry Dunn. It, it's, look... I think I told you the last time I was here. I, I have actually met Harry. I've spent four hours with him one time privately. It was an off the record meeting, so I'm not gonna talk about what he said to me. I think I told you a little bit about what I said to him. And basically, I was trying to give Harry the opportunity to get ahead of this. And I have communicated with him many times since that meeting, a couple of months ago. And then about two weeks ago, Two weeks ago tomorrow, I gave him the opportunity the last time. I sent him a really long, nice note and said, Harry, let me help you become a real American hero. And, and he went silent. He went silent on me. And the bottom line, Jason, is that Harry was elevated to the status of the hero of the day. He has received awards, acclaim, book deal, presidential medal, congressional medal. And unfortunately for him, when we start rolling out this video, it's going to show, first of all, that virtually everything that he said that he did that day, he did not do, or he did the exact opposite, or he behaved in the exact opposite manner. More tellingly, you think about it. It's been now, what, two years, nine, ten months since January 6th. Have you ever one single time in the dozens of media interviews that he has participated in, he's been interviewed from, you know, CBS. He was on The View last week doing his book tour. Uh, you know, he's been MSNBC, NPR, New York Times. He's been everywhere. Has anybody ever showed a single second of video of his heroic actions that day? 
Well, wouldn't they say, we don't have them. They haven't been released. Why aren't they available through all the other open source video that has been captured and released that day? We've seen, we've seen hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of police doing battle with violent protesters. We've seen um, now hundreds of hours of Metropolitan Police body cams. The only body cams that we see of Harry Dunn is when he's blowing up and losing control and Captain Ben Smith coming over and putting his hand on his shoulder and saying, you know, calm down, Harry. Harry, not the most stable guy, is, <laughs> is one of my, and maybe not the most intelligent. And I say that just from the interviews I've seen with him, the way he unpacks the stories don't sound believable to me. And the, not just the way uh, his actual stories just don't sound believable. It sounds like something that a useful idiot would say uh, and portray things to be in it just I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that much of what happened after he gave his first unnamed source, anonymous source story to BuzzFeed as the guy who revealed and talked about the, the, you know, the, the racial epithets and the, the, the attack on himself and other black officers uh, racially in, in the heat of the, you know, the melee that day. Um, once that story was out and then he was elevated, I believe at that point there were people that were writing scripts for him. Do, will he ever get in trouble or will this all be swept under the rug? I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Harry to actually get in trouble, trouble. He has been very carefully navigated through this legal process in terms of his trial testimonies with the, uh, 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 against the Oath Keepers um, by a very pow powerful D.C. lawyer and obviously uh, nurtured by the Department of Justice and the FBI themselves in the process. And they have multiple interview transcripts with him, obviously the trial testimonies. And as I've watched and analyzed very closely as they work through those, they're leaving him in a position where he could have misremembered things. But the one person who can't be taken down that mis misremembrance uh, trail is uh, Special Agent David Lazarus, who backed up Harry's story about the Oath Keepers and said that he saw what happened three or four times and that it was always a contentious you know, interaction between Harry and the Oath Keepers. The problem, of course, with Lazarus is he was never there. And so you're saying David Lazarus could get in trouble. He, he doesn't have the outs that Harry Dunn has. Lazarus should actually face serious problems and serious legal jeopardy over the fact that he perjured himself in this trial. And that's irrefutable by the video evidence. And there's more to Lazarus coming, which I, I can't get into yet. Um, we have whistleblowers coming out on the Lazarus story now. And we have... Just for the listeners, David yeah. Lazarus is 
head of security for Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, he was on he was on uh, Pelosi's security detail. He's part of the Dignitary Protection Detail Service with the Capitol Police as a special agent. That's what he had done. He was uh, protecting John Boehner before that when Boehner was Speaker. Then he he took over uh, the job uh, overseeing uh, Pelosi's security, and uh, it was on January sixth that he was escorting senators across the street, across Constitution Avenue, through the tunnels to the Senate office buildings as they were, as they were evacuating them from the building when the Harry Dunn Oath Keeper event began at 2.44 p.m. But at 2.44 p.m., Agent Lazarus was across the street, quarter of a mile away. And then by the time he made it back and we tracked his, we tracked him all the way through from camera to camera to camera as he worked his way back into the white, uh, into the Capitol building and worked his way back over to the house side. And by the time he arrived at the actual location where um, uh, the Oath Keepers uh, and Harry Dunn had their moment, only about five or six minutes of their interaction together. Uh, it had long been over and the, the Oath Keepers had already departed the building by the time Lazarus arrived back. So he could not have seen what he claimed to have seen in the trial. Finally, Mike Johnson, new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy made some big promises as it related to the January 6th tapes. Do you think Mike Johnson will make all the tapes available to the public. Well, when he was in the final nine, when he had been narrowed down to five, uh, nine candidates for the position, uh, every one of them were asked and polled, will you release the January 6th tapes? And he is one of the ones who said yes. In fact, all nine said yes, that they would. I have high hopes for Mike Johnson for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I would not be where I'm at right now in the investigations that I've been involved in, if not for the fact that I met with Mike Johnson and Jim Jordan back in May of this year, and I was given access to even more, um, uh, well, let's just say more access, uh, at the time through the Weaponization Committee, which both of them were on at the time. And, and then additionally, Mike Johnson also happens to be very dear friends with one of the um, uh, attorneys for Oath Keepers founder, Stuart Rhodes. So they have a unique connection there in, and a real interest in getting the truth out about uh, those individuals. Steve, uh, thank you so much for stopping back by. I've promised my audience, I promised myself, uh, I'm gonna stay on this story. Because uh, I think it's important. I think it's fascinating. I think it says a lot about American justice and American injustice. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Guys, we've been talking to you about big tech censorship and telling you about a major step Blaze Media is taking to declare independence from big tech and ensure we can keep bringing you the truth no matter what. Well, if you go to Blaze Media's website, theblaze.com right now, you will see it's been totally overhauled. You'll see news articles, opinion, analysis, lifestyle, and tech commentary. But what you will not see are those obnoxious ads that are on virtually every other website. Here's why this is such a big deal. Most people don't realize that by having those ads on our website, Google was able to send bots to scour for any content they deemed unsafe for advertisers. After finding something they didn't like, 
They demand we remove ads from that article or else have our entire website demonetized. We dealt with this time and time again, and here's the worst part. After forcing us to remove ads from problematic articles, Google buried those articles so deep in the search results that they became nearly impossible to find. Google was essentially using its ad revenue as a cudgel to either force us to toe the leftist line or bury the unsafe content so no one could find it. That's why we're walking away from ads on our website. The decision to go ad-free will cost us millions of dollars, and we did not make it lightly. None of this is possible without you. We're counting on you to make sure we can continue to bring you unfiltered truth. We're taking a gamble by investing in some quality content, including expert analysis, insightful commentary, and authentic investigative reporting. Visit theblaze.com, explore the all new ad-free experience and see for yourself how we're standing up against the suppression and prioritizing independent journalism. Go to theblaze.com right now. All right, don't go anywhere. Give me that five-star review, Tennessee and Harmony. Jason Whitlock, previously on Fearless. They're trying to emasculate men across the board, heterosexual, Christian men across the board. Black men just happen to be on the front lines. They've been emasculating and eviscerating and destroying us for 60 years. Those chickens are now coming home to roost as they turn their sights. And I understand why Matt Walsh and Jack Pasabiak and, and Mike Cernovich, I understand why they're frustrated and, 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 and they're fearful of like, hey, what's going, what are they planning for us? What are they planning for my kids? And what they're planning is exactly what they've done to black men and black boys. And that's why we need to unite as believers. And we need to identify to people exactly what anti-black racism looks like. And it looks like the matriarchy. It looks like a culture that abandons the patriarchy, abandons male leadership, and abandons God. Time for some Tennessee Harmony. Uh, man, we got a full house. Uh, Anthony Walker in studio with us. Virgil Walker in studio with us. And our man TJ Moe is also here. Uh, we're going to have a good Tennessee Harmony. We're going to talk a little bit about Halloween. But uh, as always, Anthony, start us with a prayer. Father God, we ask that you bless us today as we discuss your word. Thankful to this opportunity uh, to share in the discussion of your word and bless those who are listening as well. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. amen. All right. So yesterday was Halloween. Uh, Halloween used to be one of my favorite holidays, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in recent years, uh, I've grown a little bit uncomfortable with Halloween, mm. as, you know, just my faith walk and, and all that. And so uh, TJ this morning sent me a clip of uh, John MacArthur, uh, the great John MacArthur, oh, great. talking John. about Halloween. Mm -hmm. 
so let's play the clip of John MacArthur and his thoughts on Halloween. It seems to be a divisive conversation, but do you think Christians should uh, celebrate Halloween? Do I? <laughs> no. Thank you. Yeah, no. It's just ridiculous. What is, it, what is it about? It's just a bunch of, it feels more demonic every, every year. And, and, and you know, they, they start pumping out all these books and all these movies and all these television programs that are just satanic fantasies of horror. And just awful. No, just avoid it. Thank you. Have a fall festival. Yeah, I think that's where I come down. But I, I, what I would have added, and I mean, just speaking from my own perspective, was like, this is how we get kids in the habit of overeating and, and eating junk food. <laughs> and again, <laughs> seriously, and I sit back and think and, oh. and remember, like, oh, my God, I'd eat a bunch of candy that night. And then all week, you know, you'd pack up your candy and take it to school with you or whatever. It's like, man, we're just poisoning kids. But anyway, one more biblical uh, point, even though I think that is consistent with a biblical point of view. But Anthony... Uh, where you fall on what? Uh, MacArthur, I'm 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 very close to his position. Uh, just to give a brief kind of history of it, um, biblically, the closest that we can get to is uh, Leviticus. Uh, I think it's Leviticus 19. Exodus speaks of it as well. Anything tapping into witchcraft, the occult, attempting to tap into the demonic realm uh, was forbidden. Okay. Uh, now, depending on your your origin story of Halloween, there's All Hallows Eve, there's Day of the, Day, Day of the Dead, uh, and, and it's really a conflagration of, of a lot of different things. Um, you know, holidays, 90% of the time are man-made. So, you know, it, it's hard to find a hard and fast biblical yay, nay on this. But I will add this, which is where MacArthur's going. Um, let's stay away from the demonic. Uh, let's stay away from that. Now, you know, our church, we have, we have had in many times, it's been difficult getting back since COVID, but we've had, you know, fall festivals. Uh, we've had, you know, obviously the kids are going to hear about getting candy and all this kind of thing. And we can do some of that stuff as well, but we're away from the occult and the demonic. And that's where we see, the world as a whole is, is headed towards that way. People aren't, when I was growing up, we put on a Batman outfit. Yeah, and yeah. I, or we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> no, no. Virgil, you're. Well, yeah, I, our church does the very same thing. You know, we, we have previous churches I've been a part of had some kind of fall festival uh, and the like, and that's kind of the, the way that they approached it. Um, one of the things that we've been doing as a family since, gosh, far back as I can remember, the kids were maybe pre-teenage pre years. Uh, we, we recognize October 31st, 1517, right? On, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther would nail the 95 theses to the, uh, to the church door in, in Wittenberg, Germany. And it was the beginning of the Reformation. So everything that we understand as Protestants, as Protestants against 
uh, issues related to uh, the Catholic Church, uh, we, 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 we celebrate that. Uh, as reformers, that, that was when the doctrine uh, was understood or at least recaptured uh, the doctrine of justification by, by, grace, by, by grace through faith alone. So you had the five solas of the Reformation that would come out of that, you know, sola gratia, sola fide, so grace alone, faith alone, uh, uh, soli deo gloria for, for God's glory alone, uh, uh, solus Christus for Christ alone. Uh, so you, all, all, the, all the issues related to salvation. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to scripture, to God's glory. So we use, we use the 31st as an opportunity to teach our kids why we're Protestants, why we stand on the firm foundation of the Word of God. And, and we, we put all the things that, that Anthony kind of mm -hmm. talked about celebration-wise around it. Mm -hmm. uh, at the church that I'm a part of at Praise Mill there uh, in Atlanta, uh, that's what they did. They had, they had a Reformation Day. And so we, all the kids came. They dressed up as, as some of the reformers. I just, I, I think, you know, I just came back from, uh, from, from London, from Britain, where we did a British Reformation tour. And we went to all of the places and spaces where uh, the reformers gave their lives and died uh, for the cause and sake of Christ. So it was incredibly encouraging. So to come back and to celebrate the 31st now as Reformation Day uh, was a great way to, to not only take something away, which you don't want them worshiping demons or dressing up like mm -hmm. demons, mm -hmm. but it is also an opportunity to add to. Uh, so we added that to it and explained the five solas of the Reformation and uh, let folks know we're saved by grace through faith in Christ according to Scripture God's glory. Uh, in addition to that, we recognize Martin Luther uh, was the reformer that kicked everything off with his 95 theses that he nailed against the, uh, the door in Wittenberg. Excuse my delivery here, but I think it's like the closet slut holiday of the year. <laughs> it, is. it is. You're approaching it from the adult perspective. TJ. <laughs> Even the good girls that I know, Good girl, that's why I say closet slut. Mm. Um, it's their excuse to dress as skimpy and crazy and terrible as they want, uh -huh. and it's just okay because it's Halloween. Yeah. You would never present yourself this way, but I, I'm, this doesn't, it doesn't start in college. Now it's like 16-year-old girls are doing this, mm -hmm. and it is marking as my dad. So there's a cultural shift that Halloween is about culturally, nothing more than that. Go be as crazy and... and promiscuous and slutty as you want it, and that's totally fine. So that, that's one thing. that I started to notice that through college. I'm like, what are, what are we doing here? Even the good girls. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm not going on Halloween because I don't want to see you like that, and I don't want to think of you like that. Mm. So that was one. Um, a second part, and this, I think this developed when I had kids. I don't trust anybody. I can't imagine taking my kids trick-or-treating. Mm. Who knows what they're putting in this can? <laughs> Who knows what they've done? It's not a chance. Yeah. So I would. So I'm, we're not going door to door. I didn't as a kid, but just generally speaking, I don't trust anybody. As crazy as the world's gotten, not a chance. And even as we go through, like I don't remember it being this way. You guys, different generation. I'm sure it wasn't this way. Halloween is just all about the dead. It's about witches. It's about skeletons. It's about ghosts. It's about you know, evil spirits, scare fest. It's like, to me, that's anti-biblical, right? We're supposed to be fearless. And this is, Halloween's all about being scared. Yeah. Go around, be frightened. Let's go to a haunted house. Let's go, I hate all that stuff. And so generally speaking, in America, and I don't know if this is uniquely American, but I, I don't like it, we have way too many holidays. Halloween is one of those. <laughs> I think we should pick four. The four that I like, <laughs> Easter, the 4th of July, we can celebrate America. 
Thanksgiving, that is biblical, we should be thankful, and Christmas. And that's it. And I, I, you could throw in Veterans Day, but I just celebrate that on July 4th. Let's have a quarterly holiday and get rid of the West. What are we doing on Cinco de Mayo? We left off Juneteenth. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, Juneteenth, St. Yeah. Patrick's yeah. Day. Like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, my birthday. That's all in yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's one of the things I, I, where Halloween presents, I think, an opportunity for, for ministers because as I sit and think about this, the Halloween hammers the importance of the church mm, okay. because it give because you got kids, all you got kids, mm -hmm. yours are grown, but mm -hmm. TJ and Anthony are still got young kids. And if you're not connected to a church, they have no choice but to get swept up in everybody else's presentation and mm -hmm. version of Halloween, right. mm -hmm. whereas if you're connected to a church, a church can put you in a whole different environment right. and a mm -hmm. whole different way of right. celebrating Halloween. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just helps you understand, particularly for families, the importance of being connected to a church. Yeah. It's you, You're right. I, I'll say this as well, you know, from a cultural perspective. I know we're dealing with it from a faith-based and biblical perspective, but from a cultural perspective, in your generation and kind of toward the tail end of mine, we were more community oriented. Um, and so, you know, going back to TJ's point, we already knew all of our neighbors down the street. We knew everybody in the neighborhood. And so, you know, going, getting candy and even like you were talking about, you know, we dressed up as Batman. We dressed up as, you know, just silly. It was like a fun dynamic. But now we are so much more isolationist individual. We're so much more, um, you know, untrusting. You know, we don't we don't know our neighborhoods. We, we, we really don't care to know because what's going on in their house and what's so it, it does drive us back to the last bastion of community. And that's the church. Right? It really. And Anthony, you, you just hammered a point in terms of. Let's say people do. 50% of their shopping now online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I can remember when we grew up, even when we lived in apartments, or uh, everybody shopped at the Kroger. And so you'd run into each other, your yeah. neighbors yeah. and people in your yeah. neighborhood yeah. at Kroger just around the corner. Yeah. Well, when you Instacart, you don't run into your neighbors. Yeah. Mm -mm. You, you don't run into them at the mall anymore. And we so, don't go to the mall anymore. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's <laughs> a lot of it's online. Mm. And so because when TJ made that point, I was like, yeah, well, when I was a kid, we went trick or treating. and It was no big deal. That was Johnny's daddy mm -hmm. or mama or whatever that we went trick or treating. Mm -hmm. And now it's a stranger on the other side of the door. Uh -huh. And there is no community yeah. connection. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, once again, these events or whatever, we need to take these secular events that kids, because they'll be hearing about it from their yep. ears or whatever, and, mm -hmm. and the church needs a version of its own. Yeah. It works. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I, I think you're right. We, we, you know, churches. I think are are wising up to that idea with with fall festival, mm -hmm. uh, the thing that we did with with Reformation Day and, and encouraging uh, encouraging that. But I'm, I'm with you. You know, I'm, toward the end of my kids kind of growing up, they're they're most of them are out of the house. I've still got one at home. Uh, you know, there were kids showing up at my door. I didn't even recognize. And so by the end of their, you know, by by the end of their teenage years, when they're kind of walking out of that, I didn't even recognize. And then what what I found out from from my preteens was 
was that they didn't necessarily want to get candy from our neighborhood. <clears throat> they wanted to identify kind of the rich neighborhoods because they would go to the rich neighborhoods and knock on those doors, <laughs> even though they weren't rec nobody recognized them. It didn't matter because they gave the king size yeah. Snickers <laughs> rather than the small size uh -uh. Snickers. Hold on, you know what? I'm gonna be completely honest with yeah. you. I, I lived in one of those neighborhoods in Kansas City, <laughs> and I was known as the Halloween King. Yeah, I was. I was. I was more of a king than you, Jason. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you the story. Go ahead. I'll tell you why. I, well, again, if you knocked on my door, yep. you were getting at minimum five to seven to ten dollars worth of candy. You were handing out diabetes. Individual. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it would be the only place you needed to go if you just right, knocked right, on right. one door. You, Halloween's one, over. One, one so that's it. <laughs> so by the time, and I lived in that house maybe ten years, and by the end, my reputation was so massive. People would be coming from other, other, areas, other areas. Just to, and everybody every every year, every kid. And then when the kids would get old, they'd go off to college or whatever. I might run into them, and they'd say, "Man, I used to come to your house for Halloween." Yep. Yep. So I was the. I mean, you were the, my reputation. You were the king in giving the candy. Yeah. I was the king in getting the candy. Oh, so gotcha. we were we were dirt poor. I've told y'all this. I was poor growing up. And my uncle took us to the dollar store and they had these four packs of just little cheap masks. You just put a rubber band around. There's four different masks. We would go out four times. So I would have hit your house four times. <laughs> I've got a Jason mask the first time, trick or treat. I've got a Ninja Turtle the second time, trick or treat. I came back with a pile of candy. Yeah. I was the king in that way. I got all the candy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's... Anyway, I, I, guys, uh, we're going to keep it tight today. I appreciate uh, you guys coming in. Virgil, it's good to see you Great here to in be town. Here, man. Honored I to see be Anthony here. once a week. I see yeah. TJ at least once a month. Uh, we got some other things to talk because Virgil's here to help us uh, hopefully start announcing our plans for uh, Roll Call 2.0. Yep. Uh, Virgil's here doing some legwork for that. So uh, thank you and uh, stay tuned uh, for more when we come back. I'm going to go solo when we come back. And uh, give you your uh, daily dose of Dion. Next. <laughs> Jason Whitlock, previously on Fearless. The left maintains a culture that systematically imposes low standards and even lower values on black people. These reduced standards and values are designed to destroy black men. Mike Johnson has told no lies. His black son, Michael, is facing a much stronger headwind than his white son, Jack. That does not mean Jack has a wind at his back. He doesn't. He's facing a headwind too. What is being done to black boys and men is now being done to heterosexual white men. I want to challenge Matt Walsh, Jack Posebi, and Mike Cernovich to avoid harsh judgment of Mike Johnson until we've had a chance to make him elaborate on why his black adopted son faces a more difficult climb. What Johnson said in the summer of St. George Floyd might be different from what he should know to be true now. His white son is next on the chopping block. 
the massacre of men should unite all evangelicals. We united to end the previous forms of bigotry Democrats supported. We can do it again. We owe it to our ancestors. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for your daily, daily, daily dose of Dion. Uh, <laughs> uh, so all you, do I got my tissue? Where, where'd my tissue go for? Oh yeah, here it is. Uh, tissue from yesterday. Uh, I want to uh, make sure that everybody has their tissue ready. You Dion groupies are gonna start whining and crying. I, I've, I've got your Kleenex right here. Uh, but uh, Dion and his team, I don't know if you've heard this, uh, but they got robbed uh, during the UCLA game. Their locker room got robbed, and it appears that uh, UCLA's locker room also got robbed. And Dion had something to say about that. Let's watch the clip. Our kids got robbed during the game last week. I think that's a travesty, and we... I would expect the NCAA to do something about that. Um, these are college kids. Um, I'm pretty sure they don't think about insurance at this point in this juncture in their life. We've we've talked about NILs and how to really maintain their finances. We've pretty much uh, given them financial planners and, and, and given them the resources for that. But the insurance part of it, we slipped. And we didn't uh, really educate them on that. So I wish, uh, I know the kids would be forthright in what was stolen and some of our just uh, staff members as well. And now all that stuff should be replaced. This is the Rose Bowl. They said the granddaddy of them all, right? I'm sure granddaddy has some money. Grandpa should have some money to get these kids. Um, I'm gonna have a list made out from these young men and I know they're gonna be truthful about what they lost so we could try to get that back for them. They may not be able to get the items back, but we should uh, be able to reimburse them. That was unbelievable. But I did hear that uh, the home team was robbed as well. So I, I, don't, I don't know, but I did hear that. But that don't make no sense when you're out there balling and, and playing your heart out and you're getting robbed in the same aspect. So I hope we could do something about that NCA. You do something about everything else, do something about that. When it, when it comes to kids, in regards to the kids, NCAA, you do something about everything else. Do something about this one. Uh, so that was Deion Sanders yesterday at his press conference. Uh, funny thing, I found this humorous. And I, I, Deion groupies, prepare to get your panties all in a bunch. But uh, Deion sounded like me. Did Deion say, did anybody else listen to that? He sounded like a fat person that was breathing through his nose and mouth. And all. I'm like, wow, what's going on with Dion? He's out of breath. Uh, but that's, you know, as a fat person, that's the kind of thing you notice. When you see a skinny person sounding like you, it kind of throws you off. But, any, but, but more than anything, I, I'm just sitting there like, Dion is arguing that the NCAA should re reimburse his players for their mistake or some breach of security in Los Angeles. This, this blows my mind. And that the Rose Bowl or the NCAA owes these kids money and they should be reimbursed. That's not how life works. 
And if you don't, because, yeah, we dropped the ball, we should have told them about insurance, blah, blah, blah. We're telling them how to maintain their finances. We've got people, how to maintain their finances. And this is the part of the stuff that, that, that annoys me about Dion, particularly being at 56. You can't maintain your finances buying gold chains. It's a dumb investment. And, and so as a coach and as an adult, I don't want to be relatable to kids. I want to give young people sound advice. And even though it's advice they may not take, I'd rather be giving them that advice. Hey, guys, don't buy gold chains. It's stupid. If we're paying you $100,000, $200,000, $500,000 through NIL, hey, take that money and invest in stocks and bonds. Take that money, buy real estate. Take that money and don't waste it on gold chains and material items that are meant to cover up your insecurities. Don't be like me, because that's why Dion at 56 is still wearing big gold chains and sunglasses and he's all worried about his appearance. And, and, and literally, and I'm not, because guys, I'm, I'm horribly flawed and, and I talk about it all the time, but I'm not going to give people dumb advice that has hurt me or I've seen it hurt others. How many broke 30 for 30 documentaries do we have to see before Dion starts telling athletes, hey, here's some of the mistakes I've seen other athletes make and young people make when they get a bunch of money. They go out and buy gold chains, earrings, uh, gold grills. They blow their money on things that are meaningless. When they could invest that money and, and use it down the road or build a nest egg down the road, they could Use that money more appropriately. Give that advice, even though the kids may ignore it. But then when they don't insure it, and when they insist on flying it across country for a football game on a business trip, why do you need your gold chains on a football trip? I mean, I know Dion has it, and, and that's the message he's sending to those kids in that locker room that gold chains are important. But, but at what point does Dion snap out of it and act like an adult and act like a mature adult that realizes, hey, some of the things that I did in my youth, some of the things I may have done in my 30s, 40s, some of the things I may have done last year are actually inappropriate and I should tell kids, hey, don't do it. But Dion's going to Dion. But here's the other thing I found interesting. And guys, I think you guys got these clips loaded wrong. I want the Doc Holliday clip from yesterday where he talked about Dion and his players getting robbed at Jackson State. And he wanted them to have that level. He wanted Dion to have the same level of smoke he had for Jackson State when he complained about getting robbed there. He was challenging Dion to have the same level of smoke, bad mouth, or criticism, or anger towards the Rose Bowl or who, whoever, the people in Los Angeles. Uh, let's put, I think it's these, it, I sent y'all both clips, but I wanna play the one from yesterday first. Not when he's wearing the hoodie. Yes, Doc Holliday on the, yeah, play that one. Hey, Dion, Coach Prime. You may see this, you may not, but I gotta, 
I don't know if it's a question, but I remember when you went off, when you were coaching at Jackson State, when you said somebody stole all your stuff out of the coach's locker room and you pretty much lambasted the university, lambasted the city, and how could that happen? You know, seemed to be pretty peed off and seemed to be going at the school and the university pretty hard and the program, football program pretty hard at Jackson State. Now, according to reports, the same thing just happened at the Rose Bowl when y'all were playing UCLA. So really need to see that same kind of energy and that same kind of outrage that you were showing when you were at Jackson State. Got to now. Come on now. Got to be fair in this now. If you're going to go off and be so mad when you was at Jackson State, you got to show the equal amount of consternation for UCLA and what happened at the Rose Bowl if y'all, if your team's stuff got stolen. Come on, man. I think it's a great point. And Doc is a sports television anchor in Memphis. Doc is a former college football star at Memphis. Doc had a cup of coffee with the uh, St. Louis Rams, I believe in 1996, 97, whatever. Doc was a teammate and very good friend of Isaac Bruce, the great Rams uh, wide receiver. Uh, and again, he went from being an athlete in Memphis uh, for the Memphis Tigers brief career in the NFL and in the CFL, and has been a longtime sports anchor in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been fascinated by Doc for several years. He puts out very interesting content, and he seems like a very, guy's like 50 years old. He seems very intelligent, very grounded in his point of view and, and worldview and the things he talks about. Well, he followed that up because I think he's accurate here when, when Dion was at Jackson State, he was angry. He you know, complained about getting robbed at Jackson State, blah, blah, blah. And now he comes back and gets robbed in Los Angeles or in California at the Rose Bowl. And it's, hey, NCAA, uh, reimburse these kids. Hey, Rose Bowl, reimburse these kids. You guys got the money. Uh, give them their money back. They'll tell you what they lost. Give it to them. Huh. He, he, he wasn't. Uh, he did seem to have a different energy as it related to what happened in Los Angeles. I wonder why, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to expound on why that might be here in a second, but I want to play you this video that came out today. Doc Holliday inspired me, uh, energized me, gave me hope like, oh man, the scales are really coming off people's eyes. People are talking about the real issues as it relates to Deion Sanders because he put out that video yesterday. Uh, the Deion worshipers uh, attacked him, and here's how Doc Holliday responded. To all you Deion Sanders stands, fans, loyalists, fanatics, groupies, uh, who have so many disparaging things to say about me and say to me, ooh, my Gosh, grown men defending the grown men, getting so much in their emotions about another grown man when I didn't say anything bad about him. I just posed the question. 
Y'all don't want to ignore all the, the video y'all probably hadn't seen him. I was speaking up for him and his family. Uh, but I just posed the questions. But anyway, it's all good. Uh, but in the words of you all's idol, what about me will make you think that I care about your opinion to me? Your opinion to me is not the opinion I have for myself. All praises to the most high. And I'm going to tell y'all, just like I told Coach Deion Sanders, the GOAT always loses in the end. He know what I'm talking about because the GOAT is his best friend and the best friends of his celebrity partners. You all might not know what I'm talking about, but he knows what I'm talking about. The GOAT always end, loses in the end. All praises to the most high, the one and only God. Y'all have an amazing day. And so I'm just telling you, for me, I was like, oh, my God, there's someone else out here in the world who gets it, who knows exactly what I've been getting at. The goat is Baphomet. The goat, there's all of this symbolic, it's satanic. And that's what he's getting at, that Dion and all the rappers and his celebrity friends and that whole movement. It's idolatry, it's devilish, it's wicked, it's an energy that's being tapped into, that's being dressed up by Dion's pretty words and his references to God and thank God, blah, blah, blah. But the real energy at the heart of what's going on with Deion Sanders, and I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable, but, but no man should be comfortable with the level of idolatry that's being showered on Deion Sanders this football season. No man that believes in God should be comfortable with that. The, the, the real believers are being persecuted, not worshiped, not celebrated all over the culture. If Dion were representing something real, he would not be the toast of ESPN and Fox Sports. He would not be the toast of social media. Men wouldn't be running around like groupies worshiping him. It's a sign that Dion's playing for a different team. Now he's done dressed it up and he'll say, God bless this and I just want to thank God. But that's not the team he's playing on. So blew my mind to see Doc Holliday uh, play that card. The whole truth about Deion Sanders. But that is the whole truth. And people can hate me because I've been, uh, you know, I, I, I got to give Doc credit because he, he went straight to the root. I've been tiptoeing around. I've been pointing out all the symptoms without telling you what the symptoms say the diagnosis is. But anytime you got all them rappers and the whole Hollywood elite and all that and the whole mainstream media worshiping you and taking pilgrimages to Boulder, Colorado to celebrate you, 
You ain't walking with God. You're in on it. And so I, I want to go back to one other thing as it relates to uh, Dion and the advice and his stewardship, his discipleship, his mentorship of these young people at Colorado. And, and, and so let's move the spiritual thing to the side. Let's just deal with street sense. And, and, and that's, again, where Dion has a failing. And I don't care where Dion came from 40 years ago. These pampered elite athletes that have spent 40, 45 years, or even 20, 15 years being worshiped, they have no street sense at all. They're pampered elites. And so when Dion is inviting the rap world into his locker room, into his sidelines, into his game day experience, into his all week experience, he's inviting the gang criminal world into his environment. He's offset on the sidelines, key Glock in the locker room. I can't, who's the dude that spoke to the team inside uh, uh, during the week of prep? I can't remember which rapper. All these rappers are gang connected, gang related. They may not be gang bangers, but they all, for street credibilities, they all run with gangs. And so they have friends. And so when they, and again, many of them do a lot of business in California and Los Angeles. That's home ground. And, and, and it's, it's, I'm gonna tell on myself all the way, I, I'm gonna just tell y'all how much I know. And again, the, the kind of wisdom, Dion bringing Britney, Sprint, Britney Renner into locker rooms like he's teaching these kids game. Let me put Dion and the groupies and everybody up on real game. You invite <clears throat> the rappers in, they're connected to gang members. When they go back home to keep their strip, man, the Rolex Shador got, the, the gold chains that uh, Shiloh has, the gold chains that all these players have, they making all this NIL money, and man, they, they locker room looks like a jewelry store. And so when, when the people you've invited into your environment go back home and just start gossiping about you, you've put a bullseye on their back. They start gossiping around people, oh, and they coming to LA? We're gonna get at them. That'll be a nice score. You got a bunch of idiots flying in from Colorado with their gold chains and cash and all that other stuff. Oh, that's gonna be a nice score. I got a friend that works security at the Rose Bowl. All of this flashy, in your face, hey, look at my Rolex after the game. You're putting a bullseye, you're putting a target on your kids. These dudes have no street sense. When you hear about someone getting home invaded, I'm just keeping it real. When you hear about someone getting home invaded, that is generally speaking, from a man 
who had an escort visit him in his home. And when the escort goes back and tells his pimp, her pimp, that this is what I saw, this is what he has, then the pimp and his uh, compatriots, his the people he's in, on they start plotting on, oh, we're going to run up on this man's house and get what he's got. This is just what happened to Dion and UCLA. They put a bullseye, a target on themselves by who they keep inviting into their home. You got all these kids making hundreds of thousands of dollars and blowing it on jewelry and running around with cash and all and trying to be baby rappers. This is what goes along with it. There's a reason why rappers get killed constantly. They run with a criminal element that doesn't mind killing people and doesn't mind snatching chains off of people. No street sense here. Dion looks cool, looks the part, and blah, blah, oh, he's part of the culture, and he's this, and he's that. This is a simp. This is someone with no street sense, and at 56, still wearing gold chains, running around like a little kid. And he's preparing these young men for life after football. Give me a break. Give me a break. And be mad at me because I'm grown and can see it for what it is, and I'm willing to say it for what it is. But these are the facts. And so all the other little groupie simps all over YouTube and every place else that will not tell you the truth, Dion and that environment, that culture that he's created at Colorado, put them kids in harm's way. But now he wants the NCAA or the Rose Bowl to bail out his mistake. That's your daily dose of Dion. We'll play uh, Harmony and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. up so divided stop fighting and stand tall we used to be a nation one united now we're headed for a downfall god let your light shine down what we need more than anything now harmony let's make a simple vow let's come together now harmony put all your weapons down love one another now My brother, see through the lies you tell us. Cause together we're so much stronger. God, let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Put all your weapons down. Love one another now.
Open up your eyes and see 